Hello, friends, and welcome to the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast. These episodes have been remastered for better sound quality by Rob at Wrong Way Recording. When you need it done right, you choose Wrong Way. WrongWayRecording.com Initially imagined by me as a 10-part series, the Diabetes Pro Tip Series has grown to 26 episodes. These episodes now exist in your audio player between episode 1000 and episode 1025. They are also available online at DiabetesProTip.com and JuiceBoxPodcast.com. This series features myself and Jennifer Smith. Jenny is a CDE and a Type 1 for over 35 years. This series was my attempt to bring together the management ideas found within the podcast in a way that would make it digestible and revisitable. It has been so incredibly popular that these 26 episodes are responsible for well over a half of a million downloads within the Juicebox podcast. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Ascensia Diabetes, makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. And they have an amazing offer for you. Right now, at my link only, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter, you can get an absolutely free Contour Next Gen starter kit. That's contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. The Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. See all of the good work they're doing for people living with type 1 diabetes at touchedbytype1.org and on their Instagram and Facebook pages. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox good and fresh because so. i'm not gonna sing this, I, I don't sing. no 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 because this episode oh. is going to be basically me going uh-huh <laughs> and you saying a lot of different things so okay i want to if i can yeah do a pro tip episode about pregnancy and i mean like pre-planning leading up to it what to expect how to prepare what to do what's going to happen if this happens what do i do and if we can how do i do it without a glucose monitor is that all doable in the next hour? Hmm. I've never thought about doing it without a glucose monitor. All right, well, let's do the with. You mean without a continuous yeah, monitor? Yeah, without a continuous. Not physically no, without not, knowing anything. Not without a <laughs> like, I don't know not, that that's possible. Not but. Just being, isn't it funny? I call them glucose monitors or blood glucose monitor. Why do I do that? I don't know. Anyway, with without a CGM. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Because I would like to, I, I want to do that as well. So anyway, I am... I'm going to be on the outside looking in here for this, but I do think that the place to start, if you agree, is understanding what the pre-planning is like, because you can't, or you shouldn't, I'm guessing, if you have type 1 diabetes, if you're the lady, you should not just, if you can help it, be in a situation where we got bored on Friday and now we're going to have a kid. Right, right. Right. There should be some more planning than that. So how far out does the planning have to be? And is that maybe person to person and based on their situation? 
Yeah. And kind of like we always talk, it is sort of person to person, Uh, you know, overall, if you've all along had pretty good management, you've put lots of the play and you know how your insulin works, you know how food and activity and all of those things work for you, maybe three months, maybe, you know, maybe you get married and it's a quick turnaround and you're like, yeah, we're ready. And like you, you have everything in place and you know, you're, where it should be. And I mean, there are other parameters to check too, especially with diabetes, things like thyroid, Mm -hmm. all of those things should definitely be checked and analyzed and evaluated prior. Um, but everything checks out great. If not, then yes, it could be three months. It could be six months. It could, you know, if you're somebody who's starting out and you, you know, that you and your partner really want to have a child, but you don't, really have things in place to do that safely from a discussion maybe that you've had with your doctor or your OB team or whoever, Mm -hmm. um, then it might take a long time. I think it takes going back to really like the pro tips episodes, really. If you're trying to get things contained, that's, that's the starting place because while, while you know where you need to maybe get, or maybe you don't, Glucose target range for pregnancy should really be started prior to conception because then it's not such a big changeover from saying, okay, well, I've been aiming for a target of 80 to 180, let's say, Mm -hmm. right? Well, pregnancy target is, you know, fasting 65 to 95. That's when you wake up in the morning. Is that that an A1C in the fours? Is that that high fours? I have to look for the A1C. listing because what i think exactly where that is what i think what we're talking about here is that you have to know how to manage your blood sugars tightly and see some consistency through weeks and months so that it's not just a fluke like one month you're just like oh i did it and you have to be able to do it without low blood sugars that are going to be dangerous for you or the baby too right you know um and so yeah get it right and then prove it Over and over again, over and over again, through your period, through different meals, because you also could, I just finished, um, what I really enjoyed. I haven't, um, I, I, I did a a four part series with a pregnant person who has type one and, and, um, we interviewed together after her first trimester, after her second, after her third, and just yesterday when her baby is three months old. And so I went through the whole process with her to try to understand it. And her A1C was like 4.8 during her pregnancy. And mm-hmm. she was describing needing insulin more than double than what she normally needed. And Correct. that like swallowing that pill of like, oh my God, there's way more insulin needed here. I have to do it. And, yes. and I want to get to all that. But but yeah, I, to me, what you're saying is... You can't be a person who's got an A1C of nine and say, I'm going to have a baby. I'll just get pregnant now and I'll fix it. Because what could those things lead to? Like what what yeah. do high A1Cs in pregnancy lead to? So that's where the typical national standard is A1C less than 7% at conception, okay. right? That's that's the, the broad goal. We aim for a little tighter than that, because as you're kind of getting to, it's easier to have things tighter to begin with. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness, I've not really done anything 
or I didn't plan it and I also haven't done anything. And now I really have to tighten everything up. That's a lot of change all at one time, along with a load of hormones impacting things at the same time. Yeah. So it's a lot, right? So the standard percent at conception is really because what they've seen in research is the risks of things like early miscarriage or many of the genetic problems that can come up from those early weeks of forming all of the different body Mm-hmm. All of the different body organs and everything, that's what's happening in that first trimester. Okay. So the goal being under 7%, your risk is, is about even with the general population who doesn't have diabetes for those same types of problems to happen. Okay. Okay. All right. I understand. Um, higher the A1C the more potential for early loss or, or miscarriage, mm-hmm. the more potential for the heart to not form the right way or any of the organ systems, you know, a, a lot of those genetic types of things. Um, then also a lot of things that are not specifically genetic, like they don't come from down the gene line, but they just happen because glucose levels aren't allowing the cells to divide and form into what they're supposed to do. So, Anywhere from a miscarriage to birth defects. Correct. Okay. And is it a mortal lock that that's going to happen? Or I mean, you know how you know how some people are like, I smoked all through my pregnancy and he's fine. <laughs> like that. Like, you know, are are there dumb luck people? And I, not that I'm saying roll the dice on that, but but or are you definitely going to see something, or maybe not even know? Like, is it possible? You know, is it is it? out of this world to think that you could have a high A1C and your child could develop asthma and that even though you're never going to know it could have something to do with that. I guess that would be speculative, but that's, it is complete speculation because there's really not, there's a lot of research done on later outcomes in kids who've, I guess, born from women who've had diabetes Mm -hmm. right through pregnancy. But a lot of it is more assumption of putting information together, right? You're never right? going to really know. You're yeah. never really going to know. And, you know, on the opposite of that, let's say you you did plan to really take care, just, mm-hmm. and make changes. And, you know, things do happen. People get pregnant. And yeah. it, it happens. Well, I've seen it happen personally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there no, you go. No one's planning on it. And the next thing you know, you're moving. To a place with sure. more space. <laughs> because you're going to need it. Because you, there's going to be another person. Someone by mistake got knocked up because, you know, long right. day, everybody missed each other. And the next thing you know, I got to leave my condo. That's all I'm That's saying. Right. There you go. <laughs> I love that condo. Never mind. And it, so you know that it happens, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, and I've worked with a number of women through pregnancy who that has been the case while mm-hmm. they were planning events really right now. And A1C really was not where we would aim to have it be. Mm-hmm. And the, the highest I've had someone start a pregnancy, um, which was really not planned. It was a teen pregnancy, right. um, was 11.3. Wow. And now did they come to you right away? And, and no, it took too long. They, they didn't. They, you know, they came in early second trimester. It was, it, you know, they had gotten through their first trimester with, OB team and some endocrine. I I can't even remember how the family found integrated mm-hmm. to, you know, get in contact and get 
Um, but I worked with her through her whole entire pregnancy and we pretty quickly got her A1C down. Yeah. And then, you know, by the end of pregnancy, her A1C was 5.7. Wow. That's great. So, I mean, and she has, she's a beautiful little kid mm-hmm. now that there are no, so can things be okay? Yes, right. they can. But the risk increases dramatically as the A1C and the glucose levels are not managed. Yeah. It, to so. me, for me personally, and given that you can get pregnant by, you know, not on purpose. Um, <laughs> by breathing on someone, yeah. right? No. Hey, that's what I was told. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think what we're saying is, is that, you know, say you live in a nice safe town, you don't really need to lock your door, but you do anyway. There are certain steps you take just because why would we take the risk if we don't need to? Like if we know we're going to have a baby, why would we start with a 7A1C and go, I bet I can get it down before something weird happens to the kid. Like, you know, like let's, let's not do that if we don't need to. Uh, But if we get caught in that situation, then, you know, figure it out, get it down. It's correct. it, It really is. Um, it's such a, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I just, I'm thinking back now to the conversation I had that the person who I mentioned from the, you know, the four different mm-hmm. interviews through the pregnancy came to my attention because her first pregnancy ended in a mis- a miscarriage. Right. And so, and I've been contacted by people who, uh, there's a person I'm still hoping to get on the podcast. She found out that she had diabetes because she was pregnant. You know, you know, like she got pregnant, they ran a blood test and they were like, oh, you're not just pregnant. You have type one diabetes and yeah. she did not know prior to that. That person's doing terrific, has a really cute kid. And, uh, and I'm hoping to have her on one day, but, um, anyway, it's just, yeah. you know, the other thing I wanted to mention here too, is that all the things that you can do ahead of time, sometimes things do happen anyway. Right. Right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually, my personal is our, my first pregnancy, I had a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I did everything ahead of time. I had been doing everything for several years. We're like, yes, we're like finally ready to definitely have a child. Right. Right. And I had done everything. And in fact, my, my maternal fetal medicine, which is a high risk OB doctor, Mm -hmm that typically manages through high risk pregnancies. Um, you know, she was like, this has nothing to do with. She said many, many early pregnancies. In fact, she said many women, they kind of, they're a bit late, especially they've been pretty regular. They're a little late in their, in their, you know, period starting. Mm. And then it starts like five, seven days late. And they're kind of wondering, she said, oftentimes those are very where the body actually didn't even start up anything truly many miscarriages in terms of a person without diabetes and a person with diabetes who has managed well they're just because the body knows that there's not something quite right yeah it just feels like a false start and that's what happens oh that's really and it's sad no of course yeah and so you know i mean it's sad in any regard Mm -hmm. but I think if you can do the things ahead of time to prevent it, then you know that you've done everything possible. Well, right? it also takes away from the idea of is this diabetes or is this something else so that you can see yourself as more than having type one. So right. you can see normal things that happen to people. I just saw someone recently who had a seizure and thought it was because of their blood sugar, but then figured out. It wasn't, wasn't. you know, but that was their first thought was, oh, I must have, my blood sugar must have gotten very low and it turned out not to be. Um, Yeah. You need to see yourself 
a side of diabetes. And the best way to do that is to make diabetes uh, a lesser impact on you so that you're not always worried about, is this happening because of that? Right. And I think that that's a good point though, for the pre, the preconception, the pre-planning stage yeah. to know the impact of this versus versus, you know, I do this activity and this happens. There's a lot that goes into that beyond just having well-managed blood sugars. There are a lot of other things to consider in that, right? Um, Nutrition is one of them, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) So, uh, and then the other factors that are very on our autoimmune disorder is, are your other autoimmune conditions, if you do have them, are they well-controlled? thyroid is another very big one that's really, really important to have tightly managed prior to conception um, because thyroid levels do change and they will manage and evaluate and do more blood tests and adjust your medication. But you also have, you have to have kind of a baseline to know coming in, yes, things are good. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because just an hour ago, I took Arden to get her blood test. Because we've been managing her thyroid through her endo forever, but it's always yeah. just like, well, she's in range, it's fine. Except Arden was still having a lot of, you know, side effects of of what you would consider hypothyroidism. And sure. so I finally found an endocrinologist who doesn't care exactly what the number says. They care about how you feel. Feel. And so she's doing all these other things with her. And I hope to have that doctor on at some point when this process is done with Arden, but it's fascinating. She's taking, so Arden uses tyrosine mm-hmm. and the amount of tyrosine that her first doctor had her on is half of what the second doctor had her on. And she looked and she said, yes, her number's fine, but her symptoms are terrible. And she said, given her weight, I would think that this should be more medication. Like, so she was just, she's very tuned into it. I just think that I would like to do a lot more about thyroid on the podcast. I just, you have to find the right people to talk to and they're difficult right. to locate, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that as well. So what do I do? I've, uh, and I don't want to skip over what Jenny just said about nutrition too. Like, don't get so focused on your blood sugars that you're like, wow, look at me. I've got a four, eight. I can eat all the Twinkies I want. I learned how to keep my blood. The kid's right. going to need like some greens and protein and stuff like that to grow it. But I don't want to tell you how to plan your family. What I am wondering is I've decided I've got some money. I found a space I can put the kid, uh, knife, uh, the <laughs> safe closet. If I want to go out, maybe that where he can't <laughs> get hurt, you know, and, um, moving forward, do I make with the bang, bang fun part or do I go find a doctor first? What's first? Yeah. That's yeah. The other part of it is okay. not only your management, having a team in place prior to conception is really, really important because okay. I've had a number of women that I've worked with who have thought that they would just go with who was preferred with their insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Plan. And a number of them have transitioned once or even twice through pregnancy because they were so unhappy with the care that they were receiving. A lot of it specific to diabetes and the consideration of diabetes in the pregnancy. Okay. Um, I mean, and definitely high risk maternal fetal medicine teams, they know pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, but it really takes the right team to know pregnancy and diabetes together. And pregnancy and diabetes with type one diabetes is very different 
diabetes. Mm. And so if you've got a practitioner who, you know, says yes, or you call and you ask around to a couple of offices, talk to their nurses and get a bit of an idea about how the you know clinic runs and how appointments run and the doctor and experience and, oh, we've got lots and lots of experience with diabetes. Diabetes right. is the question you should be asking because they may have a good amount of gestational diabetes management experience. It's very different with type one. You don't want to get caught in the uh, medical equivalent of, oh, my aunt has that. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Right. No, Correct. I have type one. Your aunt has type two. It's different. Thanks for, yeah. So do your shopping is mm. really, you know, the case. The other piece when you're doing your shopping essentially for your care team is if you've got a really great endo that you're working with already, that would be a first like stop to actually ask them, are you going to be my diabetes backup manager? through this pregnancy because I've had some endos who defer to the maternal fetal medicine team, which that's okay. As long as the maternal fetal medicine team has got it. And they understand the diabetes piece as well. And they understand the diabetes piece as well. I've also, you know, teams differ, you know, some OBs, once you get pregnant with high risk, anything, they're hands off. They're like, you're going to high risk. High risk is going to manage the pregnancy for you. And I'll come catch the you. baby. Yeah. Right. We yeah. won't see you until baby is born and you are post delivery time. Mm. Right. Other teams, the OB sees you for the basic visits, just for the monitoring and that kind of stuff. You'll be shuttled away to maternal fetal medicine, potentially then for the high risk types of things, um, anatomy scans, fetal heart echoes, all of the higher risk types of evaluations, especially in the third trimester. Right. Um, so it it around it pays to even see if offices have a preconception consultation that they will do so you can talk to the doctor and you can bring them this is how I manage I'm well managed this is what I've done to get to the point of being ready because the more that you any team like that what you know and how well you're doing the more comfortable they're going to be helping you to manage the right way. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it takes, it takes looking. Okay. So we have to do some shopping, find, Mm -hmm. we find the doctor. Um, we, we, we decide to move forward. We start doing what we're doing. I end up pregnant. Me. I don't know why I didn't say you you in this scenario. (laughs) Hopefully you don't. Just pretend I'm a lady for a second. I'm pregnant now and I have diabetes. So pretend everything about me is different. I'm a lady. I have diabetes. I'm pregnant now. How soon do I start noticing? Like, will I notice in my blood sugars before I notice in my pregnancy test? For the most part, in the first several weeks post conception, blood sugars are going to start to look wonky. Um, wonky. And I think the easiest way to describe it is if experienced a rise of any kind in blood sugar during their normal monthly cycle, Mm -hmm. whether it's the three to five days before or the couple days of once they get it, or even around ovulation hormones from the start of pregnancy are significant, a big difference in blood sugar. Most women in about the first week to let's call it five to six weeks Mm -hmm. will experience a rise in their insulin need because of those hormones and the impact that they have. Um, so, you know, if you have been trying Mm -hmm. 
you've been trying, as soon as you know you're done trying, <laughs> get on the, these are my diabetes pregnancy targets that I'm aiming for. Okay. If you haven't been doing it, you know, so tightly prior to trying, then definitely do it as soon as you're done trying so let's <laughs> because take a, you could be pregnant. All right. Let's take a detour for a second and, and, and let Jenny rant for a minute. <laughs> Why? This might be something I know about her that, that she's never said here, but why are there different ideas of health for pregnant people with type 1 diabetes ah. and non-pregnant people with type 1 diabetes? If it's great for the baby, isn't it great for ah. all of us? Mm, there you go. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it opens up a whole can of worms, That's Pandora's a... box, so to speak. We have an hour. The Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series is sponsored by Ascensia Diabetes, makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter, and they have a unique offer just for listeners of the Juicebox podcast. If you're new to Contour, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit by visiting this special link, contournext.com forward slash juiceboxfreemeter. When you use my link, you're going to get the same accurate meter that my daughter carries. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. Head there right now and get yourself the starter kit. This free kit includes the Contour Next Gen meter, 10 test strips, 10 lancets, a lancing device, control solution, and a carry case. But most importantly, it includes an incredibly accurate and easy to use blood glucose meter. This contour meter has a bright light for nighttime viewing, an easy-to-read screen. It fits well in your hand and features second-chance sampling, which can help you to avoid wasting strips. Every one of you has a blood glucose meter. You deserve an accurate one. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter to get your absolutely free Contour Next Gen starter kit sent right to your door. When it's time to get more strips, you can use my link and save time and money buying your Contour Next products from the convenience of your home. It's completely possible that you will pay less out-of-pocket in cash for your Contour strips than you're paying now through your insurance. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. Go get yourself a free starter kit. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. Touched by Type 1 has a wide array of resources and programs for people living with Type 1 diabetes. When you visit touchedbytype1.org, go up to the top of the page where it says Programs. There you're going to see all of the terrific things that Touched by Type 1 is doing. And I mean, it's a lot. Type 1 at school, the D-Box program, Golfing for Diabetes, Dancing for Diabetes, which is a terrific program. You Just click on that to check that out. Bowl for a Cause, their awareness campaigns, and the annual conference that I've spoken at a number of years in a row. It's just amazing, just like Touched by Type 1. Touchedbytype1.org, or find them on Facebook and Instagram. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Touched by Type 1 and the other great sponsors that are supporting the remastering of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Touchedbytype1.org. When you have diabetes and use insulin, Low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it. Gvoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. 
GVOC shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvocglucagon.com slash risk. It's a great question. And it's one that's always kind of been like in the back of my mind, even before my husband and I, it's like, we definitely want to have a child within the next year. Mm -hmm. Right. But I had already prior to that readiness, I had already been focusing on much tighter targets than my endo ever told me to Mm -hmm. aim for. Um, Knowing what I know, the research that I've done about long-term outcomes of of blood sugar management and control, right? And it was several years ago, actually, that I worked with a woman through her pregnancy and postpartum. She said to me, so my doctor wants me to loosen up my targets. And she's like, I'm through pregnancy managing the way that I did and knowing what people without diabetes, what their body manages for them. Yeah. She's like, why would I go back to loosened targets? Right. Why would I do that? And it was, I mean, it really like brought it to the front of my head from like, of that's what I always aim for. So I guess I didn't really think about it, yeah. but that's right. It's, it's a, it's a great question. Why are we not overall consistently aiming, whether you're a man or a woman, Mm -hmm. why are we not consistently aiming for blood sugars that are in the non-diabetic? Why, why is that the case? Now, outside of this, there are some good reasons, things like older adults, hypoglycemia, unawareness, there are some medical types of conditions or certain scenarios, let's call it, that could need a range and or a higher range for safety kinds of reasons. Yeah. But the general population, it's a good thing to bring up because right. that's it's true. It, why are we aiming for less than 180 after meals and when I, really it should be lower? And, and I brought it up because in my sort of peripheral understanding of this, this whole time that I've been in the diabetes space, I've always thought of it as people with people with, I was going to say people with pregnancy, people who are getting pregnant (laughs) are somehow asked to do some superhuman thing with their health that's not even necessary. And it took me a while to realize that's not what we're really saying. What we're saying is, is that every, listen, there's a lot of people who have type one diabetes and we all have different access to different technology, insulins, all these different things. And so there's a, there's a blanket statement out there. Like if your A1C is, you know, under this number, you're probably have a really great chance of being okay. As it gets lower, your chances of problems get differently. You know, maybe they lessen. But then once in a while, someone will put out a report that says, oh, there's no benefit in having your A1C under this number for some reason. Right. And I every and we've talked about it on here before, and I see that and I think, I don't I don't believe that that's true. And I think that that's going to be one of those things that 10 years from now, someone's going to say, oh, there was a report 10 years ago that said this. And but, it was wrong. Yeah, but uh, whoops. <laughs> and, you know, and, right. and I also think that it's a it's an emotional idea. Like if someone has a seven, you don't want to make them feel like a failure because they're not five and a half, right? Right. Because they're not. But it doesn't mean that they should stop trying for the other right. thing. Not make themselves crazy or, you know, like anything, but right but better goals. It's, I don't know. Right. It just, you know, it's, it's like if I went out and r- ran a 300 yard dash today, I think I'd finish it in, I don't know, probably an hour and a half. And so, <laughs> but right. 
Now, that might be my personal best, but I saw in the Olympics it can be done, you know, in, in about seconds or something. Yeah, about, <laughs> right. about 15 seconds. And right. so um, I can't just sit here and say, oh, I did the best ever because that's my best because it's not. And it's your health or your child's right. health. And you can't right. just I, I, I mean, I think that one of the underlying concepts of this podcast is that you can't just say, oh. That's ah, fine. <laughs> it's good, or it's good enough. I only spent right? three hundred after pizza. I usually go to four hundred. That was a huge win for that me. That was better, right? But and maybe that was a win. Maybe that was a win. You know, totally but better. if it's yeah, it's totally try better. Try again. Try again. Try but, again. Right. And that's if it's, so. Yeah, that's a very good point to bring. I think target targets in pregnancy are in, in a way they are tighter because we do have certain parameters, such as in the post meal time period. The targets are at one hour post meal, Mm -hmm. the goal is at two hours post meal, it's less than 120. And really, if meals aren't in the picture, you should be averaging somewhere around, you know, like the 65 to like 100 ish range. Mm -hmm. That's that that's what you should be aiming for. Now, the person who's not pregnant, if they're sitting at 21, great. They might feel really good at 121. In pregnancy, that's the high end of really where we would want to hover long term. So there are some parameter differences. And I think it has to do also with everything that the mother is doing to her body. Yeah. Have impact on the developing baby then. Right. And keep in mind why that is too. 121 blood sugar. If, if you're a person, like we've been able to see my wife's blood sugar in the past. My wife's blood sugar sits at like 75 most of the time, right? Yeah. And so if 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 that's what your normal is and you're 121, I'm going to tell you some quick math tells me that's 46 points higher than what your body would have done without diabetes, which right. is a significant difference. A significant, it's a significant yeah. concentration of glucose in your blood messing with the development of that baby that's what i'm or if you're not pregnant messing with your life you you know so and as far as like messing with the baby i think another piece to bring in is once the baby I, i always find this concept really interesting that a pregnant woman who has diabetes type 1 diabetes specifically has a pancreas that's doing right the betas are either almost completely dead or they're all gone right right but they have and are growing this little person that has a working pancreas inside of its body. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, it's amazing just to think of like a developing baby to begin with, but then to think of all the little parts and pieces growing and working the way that they're supposed to in that like little being, Mm. it's amazing to me. So when you consider blood sugar in pregnancy as well, your baby has a functioning pancreas very early on. Right. And it starts to make insulin in response to what is telling its blood sugar. Oh. Right? So the flux of your blood sugar tells then how is it kind of it goes along with how much glucose or how much food gets funneled in to the baby. The higher your glucose levels are, the higher glucose levels will get. Now, baby's glucose levels, again, they're being controlled well within a normal non-diabetic target because that's what its body is doing. But the more the pancreas has to work to combat your high glucose levels, the more like swathed in glucose the 
to be continually. And that's why like later on post delivery, Mm -hmm. if the baby's body has been so used to pumping out excess insulin all the time, as soon as the baby is born and you've heard about babies being born with really low blood sugar, as soon as that umbilical cord is cut, the mother's food source to the baby, it is gone. Right. And if the baby has come into delivery with a pancreas that's spitting out excess insulin because Mm -hmm. the mother's glucose levels were so high, its blood sugars are going to plummet. Interesting. So that makes sense, obviously, but that's really interesting. So that's another piece of like, we talk about the tight control in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Tight is it's, it's there for a different reason, really. And so the ranges and how long glucose should stay at that elevated, like one point, then be back down Mm -hmm. really into the normal range there there's reason for that yeah it's funny we all talk about it so academically like you know 140 in the first hour 120 in the second hour back down and stable until i wore a glucose monitor and watched my body do it it really didn't mean as much to me as it did saying it out loud right because my under my entire understanding of insulin is through arden's perspective like I've never thought about it before about about somebody else's ever right. once. Um, and there's no lie. Your blood sugar just sits in the 80s, you know, and then all of a sudden it, it pops yep. up a little and comes back down and comes back down and levels out. And maybe you see a protein rise or something from fat later. <laughs> it comes back up a little bit, but boom, right back down again. I ate my face off and couldn't get my blood sugar to go above 145. Five one time, you know, at right, one thirty five. Like two pieces of cake me. or something. I right? just <laughs> totally took in as much food as I could, and I couldn't get over one thirty five. So, yeah. um, you know, so but how do we? You know, it's interesting, right? Because this podcast works because we talk to people honestly about stuff like this. But most people's perception of how to talk to people is, well, don't make anyone feel bad. And I don't want anyone to feel bad. Like I don't want someone to hear this and think I can't do that. Because I think you can. I think that I think that it's very possible that Jenny and I could have gotten on and said, "This is a diabetes pro tip episode about pregnancy. Go back and listen to the other pro tips, and then and you have can do sex." It. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Like it, it maybe could have been that really. And so, if you're in the scenario right now where you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh, I can't do this," or "I have a different kind of diabetes," you probably don't. You, you know, like you know. A, a blood sugar that sits stable at 70, 75, 80, that's basal insulin. That's just getting your basal right. Um, and so it's real doable. So if you've made it this far, you must really want to have a baby. And, um, <laughs> and and it really is doable. I really do say go back to episode 210, find the beginning of the pro tips, or go to diabetesprotip.com where they're all listed and listen through them. I think you could change your management. Now, here's the thing. You've been pregnant like you said, a a number of times with type Mm -hmm. one, is it more difficult? And by difficult, I mean intensive with your focus and, and paying attention to your diabetes while you're pregnant or while you're not pregnant and what's different about it. Like what are people going to find once they're pregnant? So I've got my three months where I'm doing great, but now all of a sudden there's a baby in there. What changes? It's more intense, I think, because of the impact of the hormones once you are pregnant, Mm -hmm. right? So you knew what you were doing. You knew, let's say you had your list of 30 awesome foods that you had figured out or 30 
goals and you knew what to do for them and how to bolus and you could knock out your 10 mile run, you know, twice a week and whatever you figured it out. Hormones in the picture change that. Okay. And so, and, and that sounds kind of scary, but it's, it's kind of a role with it sort of. <laughs> sort of. Okay. You, and if you've learned things again from the pro tips, mm. you've learned that don't let it just sit there, fix it. Right. Don't wait six days to see, is this really a trend? If you've got a high blood sugar in pregnancy, okay, one, it might be hormones. Great. Okay. But then let's get it down in men tested that you know how to get your blood sugar down, use those tools. Right. You may need to use the tools in a, in a more hyped up way, right? Let's say you always knew that an angled arrow up or a straight arrow up required an extra half a unit of insulin. Now with pregnancy hormones in the mix, maybe it requires a to mm -hmm. offset that because those pregnancy hormones cause some insulin resistance. And in early pregnancy, it's a very quick noticeable rise in insulin need. Um, the end of the first trimester, typically things dip off a little bit. They plateau as there's a transition where the pregnancy hormones are made transitions from ovaries into your placenta. There's a little bit of a transition there. Um, so you might run some lower blood sugars in late first trimester before second trimester starts. And this is where I kind of call it like, if you've ever been at a theme park and you get on the roller coaster and you're right at the bottom, just starts to get you going up mm -hmm. and you're up and you're up and you keep climbing and you keep climbing. That's from second trimester or about like 18 ish plus weeks, mm -hmm. that slow, steady climb in insulin resistance, thus requiring more, more insulin and more and insulin right. over time. Um, I mean, the heaviest resistance is, is definitely the third trimester, typically somewhere between about 30 to 32 weeks until about 36 weeks is the heaviest resistance. So you accommodate by making adjustments. And again, this is where that team to begin with should be a huge advantage to you because during pregnancy, pregnancy brain or mommy brain mm. is not a myth. Yeah. It is something that is there. You might get lost in, in data. And so having a team that's really, really good and willing and able frequently through pregnancy with adjustments, mm -hmm. despite you making your own, you may need a second set or a third set of eyes looking at things and being able to say, that was great, but I think we could bump this a little bit more. We could change it a little bit more here. Oh, this looks like it's happening now. Um, so that's well, I was just, as you were speaking, I, there's this conundrum around more insulin. Like, uh, you know, my body needs more all of a sudden give it more and we call it insulin resistance. And I'm always resistant to call it insulin resistance. I'm always thinking of it as just more need. But how do you convey that to a person, right? How how does a person who believes that their basal is one unit an hour, how can they make the leap to now believe it's two units an hour or that a, a meal that was three units is six units all of a sudden? Like that's such a huge leap in your head. And I wonder if it wouldn't help people just to think of insulin resistance as magical carbs that just appeared inside of your body, right? Like, so, you know, like <laughs> instead of insulin resistance, pushing your fasting blood sugar from 85 to 150, think of 
well, how many carbs would have moved me that far? Right. And how much insulin would I have used for those carbs? So that's in there. There's a math equation of how much insulin do I need? But what I realize most about the podcast is that people need a way to think about it, right? They need a way that it makes sense to them because otherwise they want an equation that's going to tell them when I'm pregnant, I need this percentage more or the food's going to need this much more. And I don't know that anyone's going to give you that answer the way you want it. So more. And so it's, I, I think it is, it's more, but I think if, you know, when you're talking about like the math, as you said, if you know that your typical fasting now in pregnancy has been like 78, 81, and now all of a sudden you're waking up 109, 110, that kind of range, Yeah. how much of an insulin adjustment is needed in that overnight basal then? And where did it go up and, and what to adjust? Because again, if you've done your homework ahead of pregnancy, you have an idea of where things started. And as you changes, you're more attuned to them in pregnancy. You just, you see things on a, a super highlighted level, Mm -hmm. let's call it. Um, you know, you're paying more and more and more attention. You asked, you know, what's the difference between paying attention outside of pregnancy versus I think just the pregnancy itself drives a woman to think, I'm now caring for another little being that's growing. And I have a, I have the ability to let this baby develop really healthy from the get-go. Right. And I'm a big part of that, right? So you become really kind of like hyper on evaluating what's happening to your blood sugar. I mean, I looked at my, I looked at my Dexcom Mm -hmm. more (laughs) often (laughs) while I was pregnant. I was constantly like clicking to see, you know, what was going on, where was it going? What was happening? Um, Because what people to see, is this normal or have I gotten a new load of like pregnancy impact? And do I need to make a shift now? Oh, look, this is like, day two that I've now had to correct my blood sugar with a little more after lunchtime, Mm -hmm. I need to obviously add more insulin to my bolus. I need to change my. Did you have anxiety around that? Samantha mentioned in the episode that she sometimes felt like she was hurting the baby when her blood sugar would get high. She said it was hard to deal with sometimes. And I think that's a, I would say 95% of the women that I work with their pregnancy. That's at, at least once it's mentioned, well, my goodness, my blood sugar. Again, we, we had like a baby shower and I had like a bite of a cupcake and my blood sugar was 201 or, right. you know, I got it down really, you know, right away. They're I'm apologizing like, to you. <laughs> you know, they're poly- I'm like, okay, that's, that's okay. And they're, right. you know, they're very, I think the worry really is one, they need to voice it because it, it was concerning yeah. Two, of worrying about that baby. Did that really high blood sugar for one hour? Cause my baby to now have three eyeballs right. or yeah. to now weigh 12 pounds. No, it's, it's more understanding that the consistent lengthy high blood sugars, Mm -hmm. that's problematic. Right. I mean, was my blood sugar sitting at 83 the entire pregnancy, this like flat, beautiful. I actually go back to my Dexcom records from that time because I printed them out. And I have them in like my pregnancy file. We're going to just um, let everybody take a second to say to themselves personally, whether they're doing uh, chores at the house or working out or your grocery shopping to go, I knew Jenny had her Dexcom grass <laughs> from her pregnancy. <laughs> well, they're good. They're reference for me uh, as I work with people. And I was really glad 
having done that my first pregnancy because we knew that we wanted more kids. Yeah. And I wanted to have a reference to be able to say, so once you get through a first pregnancy and you get an idea, yeah, I needed more around 20 weeks. I needed more again in basal and mm-hmm. in bolus. And I needed to lengthen my pre-bolus. That's another big one that shifts the pregnancy. You might, you know, pre-pregnancy, you might do 15, 20 weeks. Things are stable. That works really great. Once you're pregnant, as you get more pregnant, mm-hmm. The time of pre-bolus gets longer and longer and longer. So by about mid-pregnancy, you should be at 30-minute pre-bolus for most meals. How much of what's happening to a pregnant person is, in, in regards to their insulin use, is that they're pregnant, that they're cooking a little person inside of them. They've got a bunch of hormones going on. And by the way, all of you have to be so impressed that I talk about this stuff so much and have never told that joke from the 80s, how do you make a hormone? I keep it inside every time I hear it, just so you know. And and so how much of this has to do with that? And how much does it have to do with gaining weight too? Is that a part of it? So like a side of the diabetes piece or or, uh, aside of the pregnancy piece, you are gaining weight as well, right? Gaining weight. And you should, you should be gaining weight. And that is a very big piece of it. Yes. Um, And, and, you know, healthy weight gain. If you, if you're at a really good target, happy, healthy uh, weight prior to pregnancy, Mm -hmm. you could gain somewhere between 20 to 30, 25 to 35. Okay. In pregnancy, that would be considered normal. You have to expect, or I guess you have to understand where does that weight come from? Mm -hmm. Because in both of my pregnancies, my first pregnancy, I think I gained, I think it was 26 pounds. My second pregnancy, I gained 21 pounds. And you have to, you have an eight pound baby. That's like a third to maybe half of your weight, depending, you know, that's a big chunk of that already. Now, like put on the floor, plopped out after you've delivered, right? Hopefully not the floor, but right. Right. It's like not on you anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you have to expect development for lactation. You have a placenta, you have all the amniotic fluid, your fluid levels in your body double through pregnancy. That's why a lot of women experience swelling and whatnot in Mm -hmm. their legs by the end of the day in late stages of pregnancy. Your blood volume increases to pump all of that extra blood through you, tissue and the baby. So you've got a lot of gain that disappears literally once you deliver the baby. Right. So really women end up, you hear people complaining, oh, this last five pounds, I can't seem to get rid of it after pregnancy. That's really, it is fat gain. Most women gain somewhere to seven pounds of fat gain Mm -hmm. through pregnancy. And it's normal. Your body should be doing that because if you plan to nurse or breastfeed it, your child, your body needs a reserve. So it's packing things away so you can make plenty milk to supply this like never empty baby. Yeah. I was going to show <laughs> off. Just, they're hungry all the time. I was about to show off and say that that was for breastfeeding, but then you beat me to it. I was like, oh, I oh, knew something sorry. finally. No, it's you fine. Did. Don't worry. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I can't prove it now, so it doesn't matter. Um, and, and typically, as long as you nurse, you're usually, most women are going to retain about that. Once nursing is done, depending mm-hmm. on how long you plan to nurse, um, usually as long as you return to your normal activity and you haven't been eating bonbons crazy 
just because you want to. Typically that weight does come off once you're through nursing. Okay. All right. So So we've gotten through the pregnancy. Things have gone well. The day of the delivery comes, please talk to your doctors well ahead of hand and understand that just speaking to your doctors doesn't mean that the nurse at the hospital is going to know that you're taking care of your blood sugar during your during your delivery. Right. Um, And it's going to if you've been doing such a good job this far, it'd be really weird to hand it off to somebody you know, in the last 50 yards when you're like, I can yes. see the end. Now you take care of my blood sugar. So, right. it, it, you know, if you have a spouse or a family member that you can, you know, teach how to help you or. You and should, we'll be there with you. Right. In case something gets funky and they end up putting you out or something like that. I guess, obviously, if they go to a C-section, you're going to get handled like a surgery case then, too. But if you're just having a regular vaginal birth, you should be able to manage your blood sugar through that time pretty well. Um, and potentially even a C-section, mm-hmm. you know? Really? Okay. Um, yeah, really. And and I think this is where protocol, like you said initially, it's, it's really important to have this talk with your team much sooner than delivery could possibly happen. Yeah. I mean, there are always certain instances delivery at like 28 weeks or 30 weeks or whatever. I mean, those are really, it's not often. And that's a very skill of management, mm-hmm. right? But for the most part, with women that I work with through pregnancy, we establish and detail a labor and delivery plan. Okay. And it goes through, these are the expectations of glucose management. This is where you should target through dip, through delivery. This is how much insulin adjustment you could expect to need to make. And again, Every woman responds to laboring and delivery a little bit differently. Some women's needs with the active nature of laboring, some women's needs go down by 50%. Great. Use a temp basal decrease. Um, Some women's needs go up a little bit with the stress of all of the contractions and everything. Great. So you might need little nudged kind of boluses of insulin in order to get a little bit right? Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit extra. Whenever you're correcting in delivery, our recommendation is typically about 50% of what your pump is recommending to correct a blood sugar while you're laboring. Okay. Because again, you're you're active. I mean, it's not like you're out running a marathon, but a pregnancy can take long or a delivery can take a lot longer than a marathon takes right. a person, right. right? So you can expect that that now is going to get active pretty quick and it's going to have a faster impact on your blood sugar, right? Um, So those are some of the the things that we highlight. We also have a pattern um, established in the care plan so that the doctors know where your rates are, what your sensitivity is going in delivery. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a postpartum part of the delivery plan that notes now insulin needs are decreased considerably. This is what your postpartum pattern should look like. A lot of the women I work with take it into their OB team. They get it signed off. It becomes part of their medical record. And once they go into the hospital, that's the plan of care. The nurses know the targets. They don't have to continue to explain it over and over and over and over to all of the nurses as they're rotating through their eight to 12 hour shift. Yeah. Yeah. That's Samantha brought that up too. That the first nursing staff was great after the pregnancy, and then when they switched over, the next group didn't know what the first group knew, and then 
Now you're explaining about your blood sugars and that all gets, and you've just had a baby. She said she was wasted from having the baby and the whole thing. Okay. So I have a couple more questions and I know we're running up on time a little bit. Oh, we're good. Um, We're good. Okay. Uh, Make the baby. Baby comes out. Everybody comes to the hospital. They're like, (laughs) oh my God, the baby, you made a baby. It's great. You see your friends of yours who you're like, oh my God, they shouldn't even be near kids. Somehow you let them hold your baby. If you're younger, trust me, that will happen. One of your 25 or 30 year old friends is going to be holding them. You're like, that's probably a mistake letting Jimmy near the baby. And you know, (laughs) so that all happens. You're home now. Now you've got to take care of a baby. Yeah. I see a lot of people say, well, it's hard to take care of the baby and my blood sugar the way I was taking care of it before. But Did you find I'm using you as an example here because you're very good at handling your blood sugar. Did you have trouble after you had a baby keeping care of yourself? I think, you know, this is where, again, planning your care team kind of thing comes into play. Mm -hmm. And while your mom, your aunt, your best friend, you know, your uncle's brother who isn't really your uncle, but is a good friend that you whatever it is, whoever's going to hopefully be there, anyone post-delivery that you trust, not Jimmy, who might drop the baby. Apparently we can't even give the baby to. No, no. (laughs) I guess we can't give the baby to him. But somebody you're going to trust to be there once you come home from the hospital. Yeah. That is a really and something for at least a week, maybe even two weeks Mm -hmm. for someone to really be there to help with things. because. One, delivery in and of itself is, it's a labor. Yeah, That's why they call it labor, right? It's, it's work. You, you may, with a vaginal delivery, okay, you may not be in the hospital for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a C-section delivery, C-sections typically are about a three to, three to four night stay. Mm-hmm. And it depends on healing and how things are going and, and all of that yeah. kind of stuff, right? Um, but definitely when you get home, it's harder because you're now not taking care of just you and diabetes. Now it's like you've got a second child, even though if this is your first real child, right. I always consider diabetes kind of like a toddler that never really grows up, like constantly sort of like caring for it. So it's almost like this first child diabetes gets pushed off in the corner and you're like, yeah, you're just going to have to sit there for a bit because mommy's got to take care of this. He's be fine. He can do his homework by himself. <laughs> He's, He's going to be fine. Yeah, it'll be all right. That's right. Right. So, you know, some things to kind of along with that care person there beyond your spouse or your significant other, you know, um, somebody else that can be there so you can focus a little bit because in that time period, especially the first month. Things will change considerably with insulin sensitivity, especially if you're nursing. Um, There are a lot of changes that will take place and blood sugars are going to look a little bit more roller coaster than we want. How important are blood sugars to the breastfeeding process? Does that impact the milk at all? So there's a lot of like thought around it, a lot of research that's sort of like a 50-50. One of the big things is High blood sugars can actually good lactation. Okay. So if you leave your blood sugars sitting high, one, as we've talked previous episodes about like hydration, Mm -hmm. if your blood sugars are sitting high, you are not well hydrated. You are in a, and milk is liquid. I figured that out. Okay. Not only do you have more coming out as you're nursing, your blood sugars are high. 
drinking enough. Oh, I see. So, right. Okay. So hydration is really, really an important part of not only the blood sugar, but also continuing to be able to supply enough liquid that's going to get sucked out of your body. Yeah. Essentially, and, and right? keep in mind too, if you've never had a baby before, they don't sleep the way real people sleep. So <laughs> there's a tired factor that is really hard to put into words. It's not there easy. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and so there's a lot going on. I mean, listen, we've gotten this far. I should probably tell you, having kids is a huge mistake. You shouldn't. No. <laughs> no. What do you mean? No. No. no I don't mean that. <laughs> having them's great. It's getting them and taking care of them and keeping them alive and being, you know, good to them and teaching them <laughs> things. All that is a horror show. But the kid itself is lovely. Like when you just see it, walk yeah. through the room, you're like, oh, look, the kid. That's My nice. Child. Yeah. Yay. In that moment, you don't think about when they're yelling at you when they're eight or that you paid a guy who was probably homeless to be Spider-Man at a third birthday party or something like that. Like <laughs> those are the things, you, you know, they want you to have a dog and then you get right. a dog because you're like, oh, the kid should grow up with a dog. And then it's 630 in the morning. Everyone's asleep. But you and you're outside with a damn dog. You, you know, like, right. like you know, I'm saying kids are great. A lot of what goes with it is hard. And, it's hard. And especially and right after you have the baby is hard because especially if again it's your first pregnancy yeah it's it's a harder time and this is again where help comes in the form of also like pre-planning mm-hmm. for the post delivery the time period you know we number of um like soups and things that i could put in the freezer that were easy to pull out I knew the content of them because I knew what was in them. I either made them or my mom made them um, and I froze them. It made it a heck of a lot easier. Also, some of those foods that are definite known foods and how we react to them can be a huge help in the aftermath. So it's just not, it's not more struggle as you're already managing nursing a child, putting a child to sleep, learning how to not like have poop all over the place Mm -hmm. as you change them. And And you could... Um, experience postpartum depression, which is incredibly common. Uh, There's a lot that could happen. And by the way, a lot of guys will eventually turn into good fathers, but it doesn't, they don't have a nature provided switch. Like I'm telling you, you're going to have a baby and be like, this is the most important thing in the world. I watched might happen to my wife. She almost didn't even care that I was alive when the baby came out. She was like, the baby's here. And that guy, you you know, like like it, it, it was, it, so you, if you're you know lucky, you're going to get a, a, a great connection and you're going to feel that desire to take very good care. It takes yes. guys longer to figure out how to be fathers than it takes women to figure out how to be mothers, generally speaking, even if you've got generally, a good guy, yes. even if you're listening right now, you're like, no, my guy's a good guy. Listen, I'm a good guy. It took me like two years to figure out how to be a good dad, right? Like, because right. you have to watch it and go, oh, okay, this is what I think they want but this is what they actually need. There's a difference in there. I still struggle with to this day. I'll probably be struggling with it on my deathbed. I'll be 80 years old, just <laughs> drifting off. And I'll hear someone in my family go, mm, he did that wrong. You, you know, like, so <laughs> that, there's, there's that too. There's a lot that's going to happen to you when you have a baby and yes. you're going to have diabetes too. And it, it, it would be very much my hope that, you don't take all this wonderful stuff that you've learned pre-planning for your pregnancy, through your pregnancy, through your delivery, and just do it that very human thing of going, that baby's more important than I am, and so I'll let my stuff wait. You know, I think 
who also has type one, she had a son prior to our first son. And she gave me some really good advice and said, you know what? If in turn, we were talking about like low blood sugars around nursing, yeah. right? And she was like, you know what? If low and the baby is screaming, but the baby is safe, not sitting like on the edge of the counter waiting to fall off, right? right, right? right. But like Juggling safe, knives. fine. I am important to take care of myself. It's, it's important that I take care of myself. Right. I'm important too. I have to manage I have to manage my high blood sugar and the baby screaming. It's, it's okay. Yeah. The baby's going to be okay. Screaming really. Um, I mean, you're not going to let him scream for like three hours, but in the case of five, 10 minutes while you are taking care of you, treating a low blood sugar, or even just for your meal before you actually sit down to eat it. Mm -hmm. That's another piece that I, we talk a lot about pre-bolusing and the timing in this podcast. And that's a piece that often goes out the window because depending on what your schedule is like, what your significant other schedule is like, you may at times be holding your maternity leave with the baby. Yeah. Uh, there's part of me that believes that we should be making a sign and selling it through the podcast that just says that's a real homey. You know how like you, you see those beautiful signs in people's kitchens. It's like the cook is blah, blah, blah. Or something. There should just be one that says pre-bolus hung in people's homes so that it gets drilled into your head over and over again. Cause this is the easiest thing to mess up, like to yeah. forget, you know, I did it this morning. This morning we got back from the blood draw and Arden's like, I'm going to have eggs and turkey bacon and toast. And I was like, does that mean I'm making it for you? And she's like, yeah. So I'm thinking, well, I have an hour till Jenny and I record and I can get this done by then. And I started focusing on getting it finished. And then I turned to her and handed her a plate and thought, oh, I didn't give her any insulin. <laughs> Damn it. And of course, she didn't think of it either. Nobody right? thought of it. No, we'd gotten up super early to go to this blood draw place and, you know, like all this stuff. So I said to her, uh, we're going to bowl us now and please eat the toast last. It was like the best I could come up with, you know, in the moment. And we ended up having to use an extra unit to, to overcome that to offset. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Did we miss anything? Is there something in the back of your head burning? Um, I'm trying to think of make sure, I guess the one last thing along with the post it is definitely stay connected to your care team. Okay. Um, you know, because that's, as you mentioned already, there is potential for postpartum. There, there's a difference between just being a little bit like down in the aftermath of delivery mm-hmm. and true, like you crawl in bed and you're like, I don't to do anything else. Right. I, I will nurse the baby, but then the baby goes over here. It's almost like a, it's a disconnect that happens in true postpartum depression. Yeah. And so staying connected to your care team, is really, really important. Making sure you have those postpartum follow-ups kind of scheduled leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important. Um, maybe staying connected with your diabetes educator or your endocrine doctor, um, whoever was also a really good advantage through pregnancy, stay connected with them so that um, you know they can even you know nudge you maybe to say, hey, you know, can you just pop in and upload it and I can take a peek and I can make some recommendations for you. Yeah, let somebody um, help you. Let somebody help you really. Um, and if I you, think, oh, if, go ahead. If you think it can't happen to you, my wife and I, we were just talking about this recently. She said for the first two weeks after our son was born, she had no 
feeling at all about having a baby. Like she just felt like we brought home a lamp, you, you know, like it really, she's just like, I don't know if I like this thing or not. You plug it in over there, leave it. Well, we'll see how it goes. Right. And she said that all of a sudden one day, a couple of weeks in, I was at work and she said she just was holding Cole and just started crying. She's like, the baby's the most important thing. Like, it all hit her at once. It was almost like yeah. you expect it to happen when you need it, but it didn't happen to her right away. And then she had that, like, oh, my God, I have a baby and I don't care. Like, right. like or, or or not even not care, but, like, there hasn't been this ramping up connection, of connection immediately, right? Yeah. So, and that's a rabbit hole people could fall down, especially if you've been depressed in the past or, you know, something like that. And especially with another condition to manage like diabetes, yeah. there's, there's more to manage than just connecting with this new little person. Yeah. So, um, so stay, yeah, stay connected to somebody that can walk you through it. And if you're feeling that way, have to tell somebody like, don't hide yes. it. Just tell somebody. Just tell somebody. Right. Right. And, yeah. and I should say here, as we finish up. If anybody wanted to buy a book about pregnancy with type 1 diabetes, should they buy one called Pregnancy with Type 1 Diabetes, Your Month-to-Month Guide to Blood Sugar Management, available on Amazon and written by Ginger Vieira and Jennifer Smith, CDE? Oh, should yes. they? Oh, okay. Yes, they should. Absolutely. I think Good. the farthest I've heard that somebody's purchased um, our book is um, Bali. Um, Wait, so- Bali? Or Bali, well, yes. Oh, well, you said uh, Bali. Bali. I was like, is I that? Meant, the, I meant Bali. Did you yes, mean, Bali. Did you mean the place in uh, Vegas where I can lose my money in a slot? Not machine? Bali. No, not Bali's. Bali. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> yes. So there's someone in Bali right now has a little baby, a Bali baby. Not yet. She's no. pregnant. Oh, look at that. All right. Well, all I know is Ginger's been on the show before. You obviously know Jenny. The book's only twelve bucks. It uh, definitely is worth your while. And uh, it goes through everything, kind of in a much more broad what we've touched on kind sure. of in each of the sections of, of planning, pregnancy, whatnot. It's, it's a good book. I'm, I'm glad that we did it. I want to thank Ascensia Diabetes for sponsoring the Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Don't forget, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit at contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. If you're enjoying the remastered episodes of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juicebox Podcast, you have Touched by Type 1 to thank. Touchedbytype1.org is a proud sponsor of the remastering of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Learn more about them at touchedbytype1.org. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. If you're living with diabetes or are the caregiver of someone who is, and you're looking for an online community of supportive people who understand, check out the Juice Box Podcast private Facebook group Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. There are over 41,000 active members, and we add 300 new members every week. There is a conversation happening right now that would interest you, inform you, or give you the opportunity to share something that you've learned. Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook, and it's not just for Type 1s. Any kind of diabetes, any way you're connected to it, 
you are invited to join this absolutely free and welcoming community. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, listen, there's 26 episodes in this series. You might not know what each of them are. I'm going to tell you now. Episode 1000 is called Newly Diagnosed or Starting Over. Episode 1001, All About MDI. 1002, All About Insulin. 1003 is called Pre-Bolus. Episode 1004, Temp Basal. 1005, Insulin Pumping. 1006, Mastering a CGM. 1007, Bump and Nudge. 1008, The Perfect Bolus. 1009, Variables. 1010, Setting Basal Insulin. 1011, Exercise. 1012, Fat and Protein. 1013, Insulin Injury and Surgery. 1014, Glucagon and Low BGs. In episode 1015, Jenny and I talk about emergency room protocols. In 1016, Long-Term Health. 1017, Bump and Nudge, Part 2. In episode 1018, Pregnancy. 1019, Explaining Type 1. 1020, Glycemic Index and Load. 1021, Postpartum. 1022, Weight Loss. 1023, Honeymoon. 1024, Female Hormones. And in episode 1025, we talk about transitioning from MDI to pumping. Before I go, I'd like to share two reviews with you of the Diabetes Pro Tip series, one from an adult and one from a caregiver. I learned so much from the Pro Tip series when our son was diagnosed last summer. It really helped get me through those first few very tough weeks. It wasn't just your explanations of how it all works, which were way better than anything our diabetes educator told us, but something about the way you and Jenny presented everything even the scary stuff, that reassured me that we could figure out how to deal with this and to teach our son how to deal with it too. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. This podcast is a game changer. 25 years as a type 1 diabetic, and only now am I learning some of the basics. Scott brings useful information and presents it in digestible ways. Learning that pre-bolus doesn't just mean bolus before you eat, but means timing your insulin so that it is active as the carbs become active took me already from a decent 6.5A1C down to a 5.6 in the past eight months. I've never met Scott, but after listening to hundreds of episodes and joining him in his Facebook group, I consider him a friend. Listening to this podcast and applying it has been the best thing I have done for my health since diagnosis. I genuinely hope that the Diabetes Pro Tip series is valuable for you and your family. If it is, find me in the private Facebook group and say hello. If you're enjoying the Juice Box podcast, please share it with a friend, a neighbor, your physician, or someone else who you know that might also benefit from the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box podcast. Jenny Smith holds a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She's a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, and a certified trainer on most makes and models of insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitoring systems. She's also had type 1 diabetes for over 35 years, and she works at integrateddiabetes.com. If you're interested in hiring Jenny, you can learn more about her at that link.